0: I'd like to invite you to stand, if you would please, for the reading and honor of God's word. Uh, we're in Psalm chapter 32. There's a um, Bible in the pew in front of you if you don't have one, and uh, you can turn to that uh, and follow along with me as I read from Psalm chapter 32. Blessed is he whose transgression is forgiven, whose sin is covered. Blessed is the man to whom the Lord does not impute iniquity and in whose spirit there is no deceit. When I kept silent, my bones grew old through my groaning all the day long. My day and night, your hand was heavy upon me. My vitality was turned into the drought of summer. Selah. I acknowledged my sin to you and my iniquity I have not hidden. I said, I will confess my transgressions to the Lord, and you, forgive, you forgave the iniquity of my sin, Selah. For this cause, everyone who is godly shall pray to you in a time when you may be found. Surely in a flood of great waters, they shall not come near him. You are my hiding place. You shall preserve me from trouble." You shall surround me with songs of deliverance. Selah. I will instruct you and teach you in the way you should go. I will guide you with my eye. Do not be like the horse or like the mule, which have no understanding, which must be harnessed with bit and bridle, else they will not come near you. Many sorrows shall be to the wicked, but he who trusts in the Lord Mercy shall surround him. Be glad in the Lord and rejoice in righteousness. And shout for joy for you upright, all you upright in heart. God, we praise you and thank you for your word. It's a guide to our path and a light for our way. Father, we thank you for its cleansing power and its instruction and God, we thank you that you can forgive us. You are willing to forgive us when we confess to you and seek your forgiveness. And thank you for the reading of your word and for its, for its profound impact and effect on our lives. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen.
1: Whether you're a, a guest with us this morning or whether you are a regular attender here at Glenwood, Man, I am excited that you are here regardless. And the reason is because I have some great news that I want to share from God's Word here in Psalm 32. But let me just say up front this news is for a select group of people. This great news is for the guilty. So I've got good news for the guilty this morning from Psalm 32. How many of you know who Sir Arthur Conan Doyle is? How many have heard of that name? Well, he is the novelist who created the master detective Sherlock Holmes. Most of you have heard of that name. And he enjoyed a practical joke at the expense of some of his friends. He sent identical telegrams to 12 of his friends. And the telegrams were anonymous. And they simply said, all has been discovered. Flee at once. Within 24 hours, all 12 men had fled the country. So let me ask you this morning, is there some unconfessed sin in your life that has put you on the run from your guilty conscience? If so, I have great news for you. Great news for the guilty. However, I must first give you the bad news. You can run, but you cannot hide from God. Case in point, I'm sure most of you understand that. There was a time not too long ago when one of my boys thought they could hide or run but and hide as well. And they found out the hard way, oh, you can, you can run, but you can't hide. I, uh, down in my basement, I have a desk, and there's like, my computer on there, and I have some bookcases and on top of my shelf of one of my bookcases, I have um, some little uh, rubber-made containers. And uh, how many of you collect change? And, and after you collect some change, you kind of look at the dates. And if it's old, you kind of, you know, just, you know, you know, it's an odd thing I do. And, uh, and so I have uh, a container for nickels, a container for dimes, a container for quarters. And, and my one for quarters was rather large. I mean, you know, a pretty good-sized bowl. And uh, it actually contained all, uh, all state quarters. I bet you I had probably, I don't know, $40, $50 worth of state quarters in this bowl. And, uh, and I kept putting quarters in there every once in a while, clean out my, my change in my car. And uh, a few years ago, I, I look up there, and I noticed that thing's not getting this way. It's going down. Like, that's odd. I don't remember taking any quarters out of that. And I thought, what's going on? So I asked Darla. I said, Darla, have you taken some of my quarters out? No, no, no. Tyler, have you taken any of my quarters out? No, no, no. Jack. (laughs) Jack. Jack, have you taken any of my quarters? No, 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 no. Oh, he thought he could hide and run. But no, he got found out. And he finally confessed. And what he had been doing is taking my quarters before school and using it to buy food at school during lunch because, I don't know, sometimes I guess it wasn't enough food that his mother packed for him or something. But you get the case, the the point. You can run, but you cannot hide. The author of this psalm is David, and he learned this truth the hard way. In fact, in 2 Samuel chapter 11, you can read. The background to this very psalm here, David was in the prime of his life. David was at the height of his powers, but foolishly, David sent some of his armies uh, out to war as he stayed back and relaxed at home. David was secure in his military strength, but his spiritual weakness kind of left him vulnerable to temptation when from his balcony he saw a woman, a beautiful woman, bathing on her rooftop, and of course David lusted after her, and he soon committed adultery with Bathsheba, the wife of the soldier Uriah, and this began a spiritual free fall, a downward spiral that took David from adultery to conspiracy to eventual murder, and for more than a year David lived in this self-deception, this self-denial, thinking I've gotten away with it, nobody knows I'm running and I'm hiding from it. But David was wrong. He could run, but he could not hide his sin from God. And so David finally came to a point in his life where he hit rock bottom when God confronted him through a prophet named Nathan. In 2 Samuel chapter 12, verse 13, David comes clean when Nathan confronts him. And he begins to confess his sin to God. And basically says, I have sinned against the Lord. This confession is fully expressed over in Psalms chapter 51, where David prays, Have mercy on me, O God, according to your steadfast love, according to your abundant mercy. Blot out my transgressions. Wash me thoroughly from my iniquity and cleanse me from my sin. Now, What we have here in Psalm 32 is a sequel to Psalm 51. You're like, well, the order doesn't say that. Yes, I know. Psalm 51 was probably written first during the anguish of guilt under which David suffered so severely. Psalm 32 was written after the anguish, after forgiveness had been received, after his joy had been restored. And so in many ways, Psalm 32 now is kind of like a a song of praise to God for the blessing of forgiveness. And if you know forgiveness, if you know God's forgiveness, you understand that this is truly a blessing. In other words, Psalm 32 here, what Bill read for us, it truly is good news for the guilty. And who here has not been guilty? Who here is not guilty of sin? And so that's why this is good news for all of us here this morning. Whether you're a guest or whether you're a regular attender, because we're all guilty of sin. But this is good news that we're about to discover. We can summarize David's message of Psalm 32 in this way. To summarize the message of good news for the guilty, and that is sin can be forgiven. Is that not good news? That's pathetic. Because if I would tell you the Royals made the playoffs, what would you do? If I would tell you the Chiefs won the Super Bowl, what would you do? You would all shout. You would be like, well, I can't believe this. Listen, this is better news than that good news for the guilty and it's this sin can be forgiven is that not good news amen Amen. especially in light that we're all guilty of sin so this is tremendous news this is fabulous news this is incredible news and in light of that therefore God's forgiveness then should compel us it should compel us to confess our sins rather than conceal our sins now i repeat the bad news is you can run but you cannot hide from god but the good news is that you can run to god and hide in god god is ready he is willing he is able to forgive us of our sins to give us another chance a fresh start a new beginning just like he did for david This is good news for both lost sinners and saved sinners here today. By the grace of God, by the mercy of God, in his son Jesus Christ, listen, our sins can be forgiven. That is great news. We can confess our sins rather than conceal our sins and receive the blessing of God's forgiveness. Now, right away we see that this psalm is not relevant for us here today. Is this not relevant and practical? Does this not touch us each where we live, almost on a daily basis, if not hourly basis in our lives? Listen, for we live in a world which is filled with people living under the guilt of sin, who are in great need of God's forgiveness. Marganita Lasky was one of England's best-known novelists and also an avowed atheist. And shortly before she died in 1988, in a moment of somewhat surprising candor, Lasky said in a television interview, listen to her words, what I envy most about you Christians is your forgiveness. I have no one to forgive me. Can you imagine that? What it would be like To have no one to forgive you but we do have someone don't we we have a merciful God we have a gracious God who wants to forgive us of our sins and this is why the Apostles Creed includes the following truth as a central doctrine of our Christian faith I believe in the forgiveness of sins do you not believe that as well I hope you do Listen, we, as a church, based on the Word of God, we believe in the forgiveness of sins. Amen? As David here testifies to that forgiveness. And I hope we testify to that. And so let that phrase sink in and hit home. Do you believe in the forgiveness of sins? Because this is good news for the guilty. That sin can be forgiven. What I want us to do for the next few minutes is to explore this wonderful truth, this good news, the message that sins can be forgiven out of the testimony of David's own forgiveness of his sins. Look at this. Number one, receiving God's forgiveness is a blessing. It is a huge blessing. Before David shares his personal testimony of guilt Confession and forgiveness. He starts, though, by applying this blessing of forgiveness to everyone who is willing to confess their sins to God. Notice how David begins in verse 1 and 2 again. Look at it with me. He says, Blessed is he whose transgression is forgiven, whose sin is covered. Blessed is the man to whom the Lord does not impute iniquity, and in whose spirit there is no guile. And so David begins Psalm 32 You may have noticed it the very same way that he begins Psalm 1. He begins with the word blessed, which which in summary form, we don't have time to go into it again, means happiness, joy, and peace, based on peace with God, joy in God, because we have a relationship with God. Charles Spurgeon, that great preacher in England, described it as bundles of inner peace, mountains of soul's delight. So in this context, blessed here, we can somewhat describe it. It means to experience joyful bliss in our relationship with God. Think about that phrase that is sometimes used at weddings, marital bliss. The intention of that phrase is to picture the, the loving harmony and intimacy and happiness of a husband and wife. That's the perfect picture of the the blessedness of God's forgiveness. We experience peace with God. We can look God in the eyes and not feel a speck of shame or an ounce of guilt. All is well within our soul spiritually, and we are filled with joy. Blessed is the man. Now that's a blessing, for there are few feelings as crippling as guilt Over unconfessed sin. And there are few feelings as freeing as knowing that all has been set right with God. As one author writes, the joy here that David is describing is so great because the sin here in our lives is so defeating. And most of us here, if not all of us, we know exactly that feeling. David goes on and he begins to use a a trilogy of words to describe the horribleness of sin and the blessedness of forgiveness. Notice this. First of all, our transgression is forgiven, he says. The word transgression simply means acts of rebellion. It describes a willful act of disobedience. Transgression is the idea of when you know the right thing to do, but you essentially say in the face of authority, in the face of your parents, in the face of God, I don't care. I'm going to do what I want to do. That's transgression. And David says, I'm guilty of that. He committed adultery with Bathsheba, knowing full well that what he was doing was wrong, according to God's word. And so no wonder David now writes, Blessed is he whose sin is forgiven. Forgiven is a word that pictures our sin, get this, being lifted off our shoulders and carried away, and with it the burden of our guilt. In other words, before our sin is confessed, we, we bear it like some great burden. And it's kind of like kids when they get ready to go back to school and they're walking up the street and getting on the bus. What do they have on them? Their backpacks and they're loaded down. Well, some of them have loaded down with books. Others just junk. I don't know. You, Nate, you guess. But before sin is confessed, it's like that. We bear this great burden. But when we confess it to God, He, he lifts it from our shoulders and carries it away. And when God carries our sin away, Listen to this. According to Psalm 103, 12, he removes it as far as the east is from the west. Second, David says our sin is covered. First of all, our transgression is forgiven. Now he uses a different word. The word sin here means to miss the mark or to fall short of the goal. It's a sports term that refers to the archer who carefully shoots but misses the target. We... Uh, In our backyard even in the front yard sometimes uh, jack has a compound bow in uh, junior size i have a bigger one so us three boys we'll get out there and we have a you know those targets you shoot at and we'll pull back that compound bow with our arrows and try to shoot the target and i i I wish i could tell you every time we hit the target every time jack and tyler hit the target, i wish i could say that we put it up against the back of our fence which is a wood fence and to kind of be a protection against missing the target. The fence is six foot high, I kid you not. Nah, doesn't matter. No, there are times it goes over that fence. There are times it goes under and we miss the whole target completely. Not just the bullseye, but the target. And that's the idea of this word sin. In those times when you try to do right, but you fall short of the target. And in this case, The target is God's holiness. It's God's standard for our lives. It's what pleases him, and we fall short of that in times in our lives. That is the idea of sin here. But David says, God says, I've got you covered. Your sin is covered. Covered here means to conceal out of sight and no longer able to cause guilt or fear in our lives. In other words, when God forgives our sin, the sin is removed and it's concealed, God will never bring it up again, hallelujah, as grounds for displeasure or as a matter of judgment over us, not in this life or in the life to come. Why? Because if we're forgiven in Jesus Christ, get this, then our sins are covered by the blood of Jesus Christ. Listen, we're going to take communion this morning, the Lord's Supper. And our forgiveness that God grants us is based on this. What what the bread and the juice symbolize. Jesus' sacrifice on the cross for our sins with his death and then his resurrection. And his shed blood on the cross is what enables God to forgive us because his blood covers our sins. And it turns away the wrath of God on our lives now. Our sin is covered. Is that not a beautiful thing? And then three, David says our iniquity is not imputed. Iniquity, that's a word we don't use too often. But it refers to that which is crooked or twisted. Transgression and sin describes our sinful ways. Whereas iniquity here describes our sinful nature. And it's the inclinations of our sinful nature that results in sinful, twisted thoughts, words, and deeds. And David was guilty of all of this. In fact, even worse, in verse 2, David was also guilty of guile or deceit. And what he was doing with his deceit is he was not honest about his sin, his transgressions, his iniquity before God. He was trying to hide it from God, hide his transgression, his iniquity, and his sins from God. But when he finally got honest with God about his sin, David says, Blessed is the man to whom the Lord does not impute iniquity. Impute, again, a word we don't use too often, but it's an accounting term, and it means God does not count that sin that we have confessed, which we have received forgiveness, he doesn't now count it against us. In other words, he doesn't hold it over our heads. Is that, that, that's, that's blessed. That's awesome, because we all know some people, when we offend them, they hold it over our heads, don't we? God never does that. In other words, if God does not impute our forgiven sins, it means that there's no record of them. Why? Because our sins are paid for with Christ's death on the cross. No doubt about it, David first and foremost, was a front-running candidate for God's judgment against his sin. But what he deserved was not what he received. Listen to this again. His transgression was forgiven with the unbearable burden of guilt being lifted off and carried away. His sin was covered with all of its ugliness hidden under divine atonement. The Lord didn't count his iniquity against him like a creditor who graciously writes off the debt you could never repay and calling off his collectors. No wonder David now sings in the psalm with such joy, Blessed is he whose transgression is forgiven, whose sin is covered. Blessed is the man to whom the Lord does not impute iniquity. Is this your testimony? Do you know this kind of blessing? You see, we think a blessing is when somebody pays for your coffee at Starbucks. And that is a blessing, isn't it? Absolutely. So if you want to buy my next cup of coffee at Starbucks, I'll receive that blessing any day of the week. But folks, this, what David's saying here, is
0: truly
1: a God-given blessing. Do you know this blessing? Have you received the blessing of God's forgiveness? Because get this, God's forgiveness of sin, it brings great joy and it brings great relief in our lives. Just imagine with me, can you imagine the judge of the universe pounding his gavel and proclaiming on your life, not guilty. At that moment, you're free from the weight of your sins. You're free from condemnation because Christ has paid the penalty. Listen, there's no greater joy. There's no greater relief knowing that your sins are totally forgiven. Like David, believers of all ages throughout all history have continually come before God to confess their sins and have gone away filled with joy and relief. Knowing that God has forgiven their sins once and for all. Do you know that blessing? When's the last time you've experienced that blessing? Because the last time I checked, we don't just sin once and then never sin again. I mean, if you're like me, it is a constant battle. We sin all the time, do we not? And so we're not there are not just lost sinners in this world, there are saved sinners in the church, and perhaps even lost sinners in the church, and we need this blessing in our lives, the blessing of God's forgiveness. Mark it down, receiving God's forgiveness is an incredible blessing. But also know number two that seeking God's forgiveness is a choice. It doesn't happen automatically. Look what David writes in verses 3 and 5, and see if you can't pick out how he chooses to deal with his sin. Look what he says in verse 3. When I kept silent, my bones grew old through my groaning all the day long. Verse 4. For day and night your hand, speaking of God, God, your hand was heavy upon me. My vitality was turned into the drought of summer. And then notice verse 5. There's a change. I acknowledge my sin to you, and my iniquity I have not hidden. I said, I will confess my transgressions to the Lord, and you forgave the iniquity of my sin. Listen, folks, we have two choices when it comes to dealing with our sin. We can conceal our sin and remain guilt-ridden, but we have another choice. We can confess our sin and receive the blessing of God's forgiveness. Two choices. Two choices. Conceal sin or confess sin. Concealing our sin, it's what Adam and Eve did back in the Garden of Eden when they tried to make those fig leaves for themselves to to cover themselves. And what they were trying to do in that is cover their guilt, cover their shame. They were trying to hide and run from God, but it didn't work or we can confess our sin and then God, listen, He will cover us with the blood of Jesus Christ. These were the two choices David faced when dealing with his own sin. David made, first of all, the horrible choice to conceal his sin. He did that by keeping silent about his sin. David recalls the year or so between his sin with Bathsheba and his confrontation with Nathan, And he describes that time so candidly, so directly, when he simply says, I kept silent. Now, we can identify with that. Because basically, it takes us all the way back to Adam and Eve in the garden. David's first choice was just like Adam and Eve, and just like every human being since then, he foolishly tried to hide his sin. There are many ways we try to hide our sins. David, he tried to ignore it, he tried to deny it, and he tried to keep silent about it. And that phrase, kept silent, it pictures a willful choice to keep silent. Why? David was trying to suppress the truth about his sin. But it's like trying to keep a beach ball to stay submerged underwater. Ever tried in a swimming pool? You have to exert constant effort to keep it from coming to the surface. That's what it's like trying to suppress our sin and keeping silent about it. But notice how futile it is. Notice how futile David's efforts were. Number two, he not only kept silent, but because he kept silent, he now suffered for his sin. During this period of silence, David says his bones grew old. In other words, they wasted away through his groaning all the day long, he says. That word groaning, it's an interesting word. It's used actually for a roaring lion, or a raging warrior in the heat of battle, or a person in extreme pain. In other words, David's pent-up guilt was like a bubbling cauldron in his soul. His suppressed sin was like a brewing volcano just overflowing In his soul. So picture it like this. The quieter David's heart was, the louder his conscience roared within him. David's mouth was silent, but he could not silence his guilt, and he suffered for it physically, emotionally, and spiritually. David's silence and his suffering issues an important warning for us here. Listen, take notice of this. If you don't deal with your guilt, then your guilt will deal with you. Listen, one way or the other. We will speak. We will either speak words of confession and repentance, or we will scream words of guilt and grief and groaning. Our souls do not remain silent about our sin even if our lips keep silent about our sin. And one of the reasons why our souls will not remain silent is because God, the Almighty, speaks words of conviction to our souls. David says it this way in verse 4. Look at it. He says, for day and night, your hand, whose hand? He's speaking of God's hand here. For day and night, God, your hand was heavy upon me, and my vitality was turned into the drought of summer. The word heavy, when he says his hand was heavy upon me, that word heavy is used in the Old Testament for being buried under tons of dirt and ground and sand. It's of being weighed down and immovable because of heavy chains are holding you back. Think about that in relation to the heavy hand of our almighty God. Picture knowing that you messed up at school and you're now being called into the principal's office. Of course, they don't do that too much today. But I know what that's like. Or picture knowing you blew it at work and being called into the boss's office. And now multiply that infinitely and picture knowing you sinned against the God of the universe and being called face-to-face with him in his throne room. Listen, that was David's feeling here, David's own guilt, plus God's heavy hand of conviction crushed him, body and soul. His physical, emotional, spiritual strengths were sapped. He just says it, dried up like a plant in a drought in a desert. Yes, God's hand, folks, listen to me, God's hand protects his children, it supports his children, it encourages his children, it leads his children, it provides for his children. Yes, God's hand does that for us, but also know his hand also corrects his children, disciplines his children, and convicts his children. Have you ever been there? Sure we have. Perhaps some of you are there right now. You're caught in the spider web of sin, and you can't find a way out. You keep trying to pretend to cover up and hide, but it's no use. And so like David, our hidden sin is crushing our spirit. It's crushing our soul, our body, In doing so all the day and night. And we wonder why life stinks. We wonder why we get up in the morning and there's no joy. We wonder why we're so discouraged and depressed and we're in a rut. Perhaps it's because we have unconfessed sin in our hearts. So what do we do instead of concealing sin? Listen, we do exactly what David did. We make the wonderful choice to confess our sin. Look again at David's choice in verse 5 here. He says, I acknowledge my sin to you and my iniquity I have not hidden. I said I will confess my transgressions to the Lord, and you forgave the iniquity of my sin. Now what's interesting here, perhaps you caught it already, perhaps some of you missed it, so let me draw it out for you. What's interesting is David uses, get this, the exact same three words for sin here in verse 5 as he did in verses 1 and 2. You see the word transgression, sin, sin. And iniquity, and you say, well, why is that? What's the big deal about that? Here's the big deal. At the beginning of the psalm, David chose those three words to cover the whole entire scope of his sin against God. He left nothing out. And so now, he uses these same three words in verse 5 to show that he confesses all of his sin to God. He leaves nothing out in his confession. In other words, David didn't hold anything back when he got honest with God. He confessed it all, and you know what God did? God forgave it all. Blow me away, right? Is that not awesome? It should be. So how do we confess our sin? I'm not going to spend a lot of time here because Pastor Chris went over this last Sunday in his message. But let me just review it for us. Here are three steps for confessing sin. Step number one, acknowledge your sin to God. This word acknowledge is the idea of making something known. And in this case, it's making known our sin before God, not because God doesn't know about it already. It's the idea that God wants us to be honest with Him of what He already knows. It's agreeing with God about our sin, that what we did was sin wasn't just a mistake it wasn't a character flaw it wasn't just some you know I tripped and fell and I just kind of got caught up in no it's sin against God laid out according to his word so it's agreeing with him about it and it's admitting that we take responsibility for our sin I don't blame my parents I don't blame my kids I don't blame my friends my co-workers no I I take responsibility I here notice the 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 singular here the the pronoun I David says Step two, we ask God to forgive you of your sin. Why is that? Well, we have this promise in 1 John 1, 9. If we confess our sins, what is God faithful and just to do? Forgive us our sins. And so confession includes the idea of asking God, God, please forgive me. I've sinned against you. Forgive me. We ask for that. And then step three is to accept God's forgiveness for your sin. In response to David's confession of sin, he declares those wonderful words at the end of verse 5, God, you forgave the iniquity of my sin. Now that's good news for the guilty. God can be trusted to forgive us our sins when we confess our sins to him. And notice that God forgave David when? Immediately. No delay. No time for God to reconsider. No probation period, just immediate forgiveness. Listen, here's what's amazing about God's grace. No sin. Did you hear that? No sin is too great to be forgiven when we confess it to God. After all, God is so much more anxious to forgive us our sins than we are to confess our sins. God is ready, willing, and able to forgive when we confess. David concludes this psalm of forgiveness with some counsel about sin. In verse 6, David shifts from testifying now about his own sin and God's forgiveness of that sin to teaching us about how we should respond when we sin. And David's concern here in the rest of the chapter is basically this. It is to spare us from the guilt and the grief and the groaning of unconfessed sin that he experienced in his life for a year. In other words, David doesn't want us to go through what he went through when he concealed his sin. He doesn't want us to learn the hard way that you can run, but you can't hide your sin from God. And so he tells us here now in verses 6 through 9, look what he says. For this cause, everyone who is godly shall pray to you in a time when you may be found. Surely in a flood of great waters they shall not come near him. You are my hiding place, you shall preserve me from trouble, you shall surround me with the songs of deliverance. I will instruct you, David says, and teach you in the way you should go. I will guide you with my eye. Do not be like the horse or like the mule, which have no understanding, which must be harnessed with bitten bridle, or else they will not come near you. So what's David saying here? Well, here's David's counsel in one sentence. You ready? Here it is, coming up on the screen. Don't be stubborn like a mule. Don't be like a stubborn mule. That's David's counsel. Instead, humble yourself and turn to God for his forgiveness of sin. Now, I'm pretty sure most of us here know what it's like to be like a stubborn mule. How many are married to somebody like that? Don't raise your hand. Listen. Listen. It's not a good place to be in your life, especially when it comes to sin. In fact, it's an agonizing, miserable, hell-on-earth place to be in your life. As David has already described for us in verse 3, when he says, When I kept silent. In other words, David is saying, when I was like a mule. Stubborn of keeping silent. And my bones grew old and wasted away through my groaning all day long. And so David now, he is warning us. He's pleading with us. He's exhorting us. Hey, don't be like me. Don't be like a mule. When David saw Bathsheba bathing on that rooftop, he was like a wild horse galloping uncontrollably to sin. And afterward, he was like a stubborn mule constantly kicking against God's conviction to confess his sin. And so David warns us here not to be like a stubborn mule so that God has to discipline you with a bit and bridle in order to bring you near to Him. Instead, David exhorts us that the way not to be like a mule is to humble ourselves and turn to God for His forgiveness of sins. Why? Folks, do you understand what sin does. Unconfessed sin in our life separates us from God. And if you're married, you know exactly what that's like in your relationship with your spouse. When there are issues between you and your spouse, there is a separation of intimacy, of harmony, of unicy, uni- unity. Unity. And sin separates us in our relationship with God. But what does forgiveness do? Forgiveness reconciles us. It restores us back to God. It brings us near to God. And if we won't do that on our own, if we won't confess, then God brings the discipline and conviction of a bit and a bridle to bring us near to Him as His children. In fact, David says in verse 6, For this cause... Everyone who is godly shall pray to you in a time when you shall be found. This probably shatters most of our perceptions about the godly, because we think the godly don't what? Sin. But godly people do sin. And this may be a revelation for those who mistakenly equate godliness with perfection, but the two are not synonymous. So get this. Oh, please get this. Godliness is not the absence of sin in our lives godliness is the response toward sin in our lives and when it comes to sin godliness is the opposite of stubbornness godliness calls on the lord now why he may be found because there's coming a day when that will not be the case in other words godly people are not like stubborn mules when godly people sin they don't try to keep hiding their sin from god or living in deceit, they turn to God, they confess their sin to God, and then they experience the blessing of His forgiveness. And David so desperately wants you to experience this blessing that he's talking about, this blessing of God's forgiveness. And the good news for the guilty is that our sin can be forgiven. Hallelujah! Hallelujah! But the choice is yours. The choice is yours. You can be surrounded by the sorrows of unconfessed sin, or you can be surrounded by the joy of God's forgiveness. The choice is yours. David ends with these words here in verses 10 and 11. He says, many sorrow shall be to the wicked. Who are the wicked? They're people with unconfessed sin in their life. They're people who have yet to turn to God for forgiveness in Jesus Christ. But he who trusts in the Lord, mercy shall shall surround him. And when mercy surrounds you, God's forgiveness surrounds you, his joy surrounds you. And David says, therefore be glad and rejoice in the Lord, you righteous, and shout for joy, all you upright in heart. Here's the options And there are only two options. You can live a life of concealing sin. But get this, you will be surrounded by many, many sorrows in your life. Or, you can live a life of confessing sin before our God. And you will be surrounded by the joy of God's forgiveness. Let's pray with your heads bowed. In a moment, we're going to participate in communion. And as we reflect on Christ's sacrifice on the cross, I pray that what we've seen here in Psalm 32 has prepared your hearts. Because the blessing of God's forgiveness is only made possible by the sacrifice of Jesus Christ on the cross. And so if you're here and you have unconfessed sin in your life, then let me exhort you to do as David exhorted us to do. To turn to God now and confess your sins. And in confessing your sins, we should celebrate the blessing of God's forgiveness in Jesus Christ. Let me encourage you to meditate on these truths about God's forgiveness. And if need be, take your sins to the cross of Christ and receive God's forgiveness in Jesus Christ. The praise team is going to sing just one chorus, a time where we respond to receive God's forgiveness for our sin.